welcome to the Horses in Life podcast. Today is August 1st, and I am in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is where I will be for about the next month still. So if you're in the Kansas City area and you want to come out and ride a little bit, come on up, give me a call, email me, text me, come up. I've got a few clinics going on. One of them will be August 3rd, which is this weekend, which is tomorrow, I think. So you guys might not hear this before that one happens. And then uh, August 16th through 18th, we'll be down in Lone Jack, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. We're going to be doing uh, lessons on Friday and then a clinic Saturday, Sunday. I don't offer lesson day very often like that. So hopefully uh, that's something that uh, people can get some good out of. And then we'll have a clinic Saturday, Sunday. I think that group learning environment in the clinic is uh, definitely uh, the most successful way to learn. And uh, so sometimes a little bit of the lessons can uh, get people a few ideas to work on as well. So later on in the year, so really in the middle of September, I've got the big ranch clinic out in Pennsylvania, and that's 10 days long. And uh, Dave Stamey's going to come sing for us there. And there's going to be a lot of a lot of fun stuff going on that weekend. You guys can check out all the details on the website, calmiddleton.com, for those of you that don't know that. And then um, got a few clinics booked after that. Something new on the schedule. If you haven't looked at the schedule for a while, I'll be going to Alaska for a clinic this fall. So those of you that I met up there last time, I can work with you again, hopefully, and we'll get some new people in there as well. And then I'll be back around Nashville, Tennessee in November. That's a new clinic. I've stayed overnight there. As I've traveled through the area a few times, but I never have done a clinic there. So looking forward to doing that uh, just outside of Nashville. And uh, all the details are up on the website, so you guys can check that stuff out. And I will be back in Texas in October doing a clinic. And we're working on North Carolina somewhere around the end of October, 1st of November as well. And all that time I'll be working in Pennsylvania. And then maybe on the weekend I'll... uh, Go do a clinic somewhere when I can, then back to work at the Dublin Gap Ranch in Pennsylvania. So, anyway, today you guys will be listening to an interview that I just did this week, and uh, it's with my friend Brett Spader. You're going to get to hear a lot about the history there and kind of how I know Brett and all that stuff on the podcast, so I won't bore you with a lot of those details twice. I do remember, and this is something I don't think we... We hit on this exact uh, line here on the on the podcast coming up, but I do remember when he called me and I'd been working some horses for him, him and his family off and on, and, and uh, he said, hey, what do you think about, you know, they've had some auctions in the past and done different things, selling their their young horses, and he said, we're, we're thinking about kind of doing our own auction and maybe uh, trying to have something this fall around the Kansas City area. Uh, that's something you want to kind of help with, be a part of. Maybe some of your customers will come. You can kind of spread the word a little bit and and uh, do a little competition with it or some kind of little ranch horse show. And I said, yeah, how are we going to do it? He says, I don't know. You got any ideas? So anyway, we sat down and started talking about it and had some other other people that uh, had some good ideas. And then next thing you know, every year we started uh, putting it together. And uh, hard to believe it's already been 12 years. So anyway, that's coming up at the end of August. That'll be August 31st, Kansas City, Kansas, over at Due West, where... Uh, it's a barn I used to work out of back when I had a barn full of training horses and had that part of the business going. So now I ride a few horses for people still, but 
focused a lot on uh, traveling different places and clinics and all that as well. So anyway, hope you guys enjoy the conversation and I hope I get to see you out there at the sale or somewhere else soon. I bring you Brett Spader. Here I am with my friend Brett Spader. Brett, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tell us what you've been up to today. Let's start with that. Today, my friend J.D. Drescher and I went up to my mom's by Rosendale, Missouri, and we went through the sale Colts and took pictures and videos of those things to get things in order for our annual production sale coming up here. And the date on that is the... August 31st. 31st, yeah. I do have it on my calendar. Yeah, please make sure that there's no scheduling conflicts. <laughs> I know you're a busy man, but I would be heartbroken if uh, you weren't there. Well, I appreciate that. We've been doing that for a while now. This is the 12th year in Kansas City. 12th year. So why don't you just start out, as you can imagine, a few of the people here know you and know what we're talking about. A few of the people have no idea. So why don't you just give us a little bit of the history and tell us a little bit about what's going to be happening and why we do it. Yeah, it's a great event. It's called the Casey Ranch Horse Classic in conjunction with the Spader Ranch annual production sale. And like we said, we started that about 12 years ago, looking for opportunities for us to market our breeding program here in the Kansas City area. Also, to build a Western Heritage Weekend, to build, certainly with your help and many, many others, an event that was family-friendly and and low-key and a lot of fun, but one in which people could come and participate and uh, celebrate Western horses in general. So, the overview of that event has been and continues to be a ranch horse contest in the morning, and that's open for anyone to come compete. So that's always a lot of fun. We have a lot of past customers that bring colts back as grown horses to compete in that, as well as folks that are just there to enjoy the time. And then, of course, we always try to find some great clinicians and have you in there every year as kind of a, a feature for folks to enjoy the time in between that and the auction. And then the auction begins mid-afternoon at four o'clock, and at that time we'll sell the 2019 prospects this year that we've produced, as well as several riders. So there's always a nice offering of horses, and it's a full day, but it's a good day, and we get a great turnout, and we always have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, yeah. I agree with both of those. It's a full day, and it's a fun day. (laughs) It's a good day. It always is. It's it's one of those things that I kind of look forward to in a way every year. You get together, and we get the colds. And the, the first year we did this, we took three or four loads of horses, and a lot of colts back then, and now things are a little bit smaller. A few less colts this year, so hopefully people get in there and get the one that they need. It's been a lot of fun for me over the years. To I used to do so much of the showing and competing, and that was always a weekend where I stepped back from the competition part of it, and I was kind of more organizing it and kind of helping make some of the rules and create some of the stuff and hiring the judge and getting people in and getting things right. There was a few years in the beginning, and then there was one just a couple of years ago where I had a nice horse that was going to be for sale. So I actually stepped back that year and let somebody else do all the organizing and I competed in it. But overall, it's kind of been the opposite for me. And of course, today, people that know me know that I don't do a lot of competitions myself anymore. But for so long, that was pretty much all I did. And so it's always a fun event and watching those little babies and getting to work some of them. And that's kind of a it's kind of a fun thing. So this year, it's going to be where at? It's going to be at Due West Arena, which is on Donahue Road. For those familiar with the Kansas City area, it's North and west, just a little bit of the Legend shopping area and the Speedway on the west edge of town. So it's kind of a fun thing because we get a lot of 
folks that travel great distances to come and make a full weekend of it, kind of make it a family vacation. There's a lot of things to do in Kansas City, and it's amazing. Folks will come from eight, nine states away and enjoy the whole event, but also make it a full weekend for the family. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm familiar with Due West, to say the least. I worked out of there for quite a while when they when they were at the old barn down the road. And then when they built the new barn, I was there when they first got that going. And I was there for a few years. And then my business has changed a little bit. And I'm kind of on the road more now. So I don't really have a, a home base where I train out of. But that was always a always a good place for me to work out of. So I'm looking forward to catching up with some of the old friends there for sure. So Brett, tell us a little bit about some of the horses that you guys raise. Of course, the old foundation stallions right here behind us in the barn. And he's been a good horse, but He's out here now kind of hanging out. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the horses you guys have raised and your family. We always had a handful of horses growing up. And then as my dad was starting to get towards retirement age, he and my mom started to put together a breeding program as uh, something that they could do through the remainder of their time and really piece together an interesting core of broodmares. Uh, They went to the Dakotas to the Fralick Ranch and selected some fillies that we brought home and rode and kind of screened through. Those were kind of line-bred Leo mares. At that time, too, we had bought some mares from Gene Hayes, which I know you've had some experience there as well. Sure, sure. Old friend of mine. Yeah, and boy, they were nice horses. And Gene had a son of Goldfingers, who was a world champion, AQHA world champion, team roping horse, and really was a nice horse. And so we had picked up a few fillies through the years from Gene and then... Gene also was looking to kind of exit the business, and so we ended up purchasing the remainder of his mares, and so that was kind of our core nucleus moving forward, and Blue Max Hancock, of course, is the horse that's here right now. I think he's 24 this year, 23 or 24, so he's retired, but boy, what a great sire he was for us for many years. And then we've carried on, we call it a foundation forward program because we really like a lot of the attributes of those foundation type horses in terms of trainability and soundness and durability, certainly ability to be great ranch horses and family horses. And then particularly my wife and I also have AI'd some mares and and kept a couple stallions, which have been a neat compliment on that foundation basis. And so one of those is a son of Frenchman's guy, and he's really a, a neat horse. He really marks a lot of the boxes for our ranch friends that want something that's really durable and easy to get along with and great disposition. And then another young stallion that we've got there is the son of Gallo de Cielo, uh, who's out of a daughter, a popular resort figure. And that horse is kind of interesting because JD and I were working through those mares and we got to see his grandmother and great-grandmother who are still alive and strong there. So he comes from five generations of spader breeding on the bottom side. But certainly uh, an interesting horse. He's Dunrone. He's the only Dunrone son of rooster that we know in existence. And kind of excited to see him blend back in on that foundation aspect of those mares and do a lot of things right. Remember when he was born? Yeah. Time flies. (laughs) It does. Of course, if I remember correctly, I wrote his mother. You did? Well, let's see, his mother and his, did you write his grandmother? his grandmother, yes. I think his grandmother, Both. too. Yeah, yeah. that's been a really neat thing for me. There's a lot of horses now, of course, over the years that I've been able to ride and kind of repeat customers and things, but you guys were uh, not only friends, but a lot of business for me for a long time and had some nice horses with me off and on, and I got a chance to take some of your horses to quite a few different shows and different events I was doing around the uh, country and took some to the uh, Ranch World Show. We went to the Foundation World Deal and, you know, some AQHA shows, some NRHA shows, and that was always a lot of fun for me, and it seemed like for years and years, every 
every month, no matter what, I had a spader horse that I was doing something with, going somewhere with. And and it's been really neat for me. There's been times we go up and gather the colts up and get them ready and haul them down to the sale. And I'll usually bring somebody or two people. Of course, people want to go up and see the baby colts and gather them up. So it's not always hard to get a few volunteers. I don't tell them we got to move panels and everything else till <laughs> till we get there, right? Yeah, of course. Hey, you guys want to go see all the baby colts? Yeah. So we, anyway, we show up. But it's always fun for me to say, you see that one there, that little baby? Yeah, I wrote her mother. I wrote her grandmother. I wrote her aunt. I wrote her uncle. You know, so that's kind of a neat thing. And and of course, I think that's an important part of any breeding program to actually see how they ride before you just start breeding them and yeah. see kind of what they're like. It's amazing. It clues you in on, if nothing else, which direction you should breed them. And at a bare minimum, you kind of hope to be able to produce something that is better than what you have at home every year. And then also at a bare minimum, you... You really are always trying to make sure that you're able to put the best product out there that you can. And so being able to ride those mares just allows you to feel very confident. It's a long cycle to keep a filly or buy a filly, raise her up, breed her. Boy, you want to take all the risk out that you can in terms of when you sell progeny of her down the road. And even beyond that, it's a long cycle. A lot of those mares up there are 18 to 24 years old. And so they're still producing colts, which is pretty awesome. And at the same time, you better make sure you like what you have because they last a long time. Yeah. And the ones that you're continually raising foals out of is a big deal. I know, I know my grandfather in the cattle business, he used to talk a lot about just the different things to look for and different things to breed for. And one of the things he said one time was that probably if there was one most important trait that you could look for, you could be proud of in your herd and that's longevity. And of course, that being said, if you're keeping that cow year after year or that mare year after year, well, everything else, you should already kind of say, well, that's the shoe and everything else should already kind of be there. That's an important thing to be able to keep breeding those same ones. So tell us a little bit, I mentioned the cattle business. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your father, maybe your mother and the history you guys have there a little bit and the cattle that you guys have today? Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, certainly have Angus cattle and have for a long time. Really originated with my mom and dad both, and that's something that a lot of friends of ours know, but not everyone knows. My dad worked for the Angus Association his entire career. We're always really proud of that. He went to work, first went in the Marines, and then went to college, rode bulls in college, and got out and took a job with Angus and held a few different positions there. And ultimately, at that time, they called it executive vice president. Essentially, now it's the CEO. And what a great family of people, the Angus Association and the members of the Angus Association is. That's how I grew up. And so many of my friends now are in the business. And what a great opportunity to grow your family within that organization and the people that came along. And he would be quick to point out one of his main things that he always really felt strongly in was you go hire people that can do things better than you can and make things good for them in terms of understanding what it is that the organization's all about and empowering them to go do a great job. And so he was in that role for a long time. And I think a lot of the reason for that was just the people that were there working with him and supporting him and him supporting them as well. And so it was a great way to grow up. And mom too, very passionate about the beef industry. And she grew up in an Angus family. That's how they met was at Angus events. And so she grew up in central Illinois. And my grandfather, who's passed now, he had Angus cattle nearly his entire life. 
And so that's something that not a lot of people knew about. But back in his younger days, central Illinois was the hotbed for Angus genetics. That was really an amazing time to be in the Angus business in that area. And a lot of people came from from the Midwest and the South to come find genetics there. And that was a, a really cool thing. So he had cattle literally from the time he was in his mid-teens all the way till his passing. And my grandma is still alive in her 90s and she still lives on the farm there. Has other family of ours there to assist certainly. But uh, what a great passion they instilled in my mom. And so mom was dyed in the wool Angus person, no doubt. And uh, and so she came up through those junior activities and those ranks too, and then worked in several different areas in terms of the beef industry. She was the first female president of the Missouri Cattlemen's Association back in the 90s and and has been very active with MCA and certainly National Cattlemen's Beef Association too, to this day. So really enjoys the beef industry, enjoys the people of the beef industry, and certainly still has several Angus cows. And you may not know this, but I took a new job last week. Well, I did, and I'm glad okay. you brought it up. I had it on my list, but I, I'm, it's just perfect timing to fit right in. That's so a go, segue, right? Go ahead and tell us about it, buddy. Yeah, so I'm excited because I've enjoyed working with multiple breeds through my career and had some different opportunities through the years and really had enjoyed what I was doing very much. It was had been about three years, and it was a group called the National Center for Beef Excellence. And it was a really neat, neat group that was started as a nonprofit to serve beef breed associations. And so the core concept of that was we had support services and software for these different beef breed associations and other industry groups. It was really fascinating because these beef breed associations, you know, they face a unique set of challenges in the marketplace today. One of them staffing. And so in some cases, maybe they needed a little extra help in a certain area in certain peak times of the year, or maybe they just didn't quite have enough revenue to support a role full time. And so what they could do was to outsource that to us and we would provide that on demand, that staffing solution to them. So really was a rewarding thing. They also, we created a kind of an internal accelerator for beef industry companies. And so if you had a startup idea, you could come to us and we'd help you find funding and we'd help you launch it. So it was really a fascinating thing that I did there for three years. But then last week, I was really pleased to have the opportunity to go to work as president of Angus Media. And so I haven't actually officially started yet, but August 12th will be my first day. And so we're very excited. And of course, Angus Media is a subsidiary of the American Angus Association. And particularly within Angus Media would be like the Angus Journal, which would be the publication that goes out to breeders to educate and inform them. And the Angus Beef Bulletin, which goes to a large number of commercial cow-calf operators and delivers news to them, as well as several digital properties and, and things of that nature. So, so Angus Media is a really a fascinating group and a very talented group of people and a longstanding group. In fact, here next week will be the 100th anniversary of the Angus Journal. Isn't that something? It's been around for a very long time, been an important part of the industry for a long time. They're certainly looking at several new ways to innovate and serve the membership. I'm really pleased to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for you. hope that's going to be a lot of fun. Something different to do. Now, when I first met you, you were with the KLA. I was. Yeah. Yeah. Right out of school, I went to work for the, well... 
I think I first met you in college. Well, that's your memory. Well, maybe yeah, but I wasn't going to talk bit. about our college oh, okay. days, Brent. I, I was going to just pretend like we met when we were both mature, young adults. professionals. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while for me too. Yeah, so, yeah. no, you're you're right. You're right. We met. We first met then, but then your first job. I remember you were working at it's the KLA, and then Kansas Livestock Association. I took that job right out of school. I thought it was pretty cool because. Like literally what my job was, was to sell advertising and go to cattle sales. Yeah. that's They paid me to do that. <laughs> they paid you. That was awesome. Not much, but uh, not, I didn't need much, much then much. either. So, uh, Well, it's funny you brought that up. So okay, I'll go ahead and tell everybody where we met. So the first time I saw Brett Spader was at a horse sale, which was the Heartland Horse Breeder Sale, if I'm saying it correctly, in Bethany, Missouri. And you guys brought a few colts down and you were there and you guys were part of organizing the sale. If I, I think I didn't, I wasn't, I was just kind of helping a friend of mine, actually Todd Kaufman. He had a few colts in it and I went there with him and from Maryville, Missouri, I was in college up there. And I just remember seeing you, you led a couple little, nice little looking little uh, roan colts, you know, weanlings through the sale. And I thought, oh, those nice looking horses. And that's about it. A couple months later, I'm at a concert in Kansas City, Missouri, Randy Rogers. And by the way, I think there was... 16. Okay. There's probably 18 people at the concert. 12 of them came with me. And I think three of them came with you. <laughs> okay. That's how it was back then. Yeah. And I walked in and I saw this guy in a cowboy hat and I said, I think I know the guy. That's the guy lead. That's the guy that was just leading those little blue roan horses through last It's week. like seeing a cowboy hat at the airport. You yeah. know, you know that guy. Yeah, exactly. You got to know him. <laughs> So anyway, I went over and we started visiting and shoot, next thing you know, we're talking to this and that, which by the way, just a little side note here. I went and saw Randy Rogers last week in Kansas City and there was thousands of people. Now he's selling out the big places and it's just funny looking back that little places we went to see some of those guys, but I guess that's just how things go when you get our age. Well, I'd, I'd like to think that Randy Rogers has an age as well as you have, Cal. So. <laughs> But, you know, he's much richer than we are combined. I was going to say, so he's doing okay. something right. He's got a nicer <laughs> bus. I know that. No, that's good. But anyway, so we started talking. Next thing you know, well, why don't I send a cult up there? We need some cults started. So then here we are. But uh, yeah, so you had another interesting job. I'm not just trying to go through all of your history here, but working with TV auctions. Auction. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So after seven years at KLA, I had a really good friend that knew the owner of DV Auction which at that time certainly did some production sales. And they also really concentrated heavily on broadcasting auction barns broadcasts. And it was a great idea. At that time, it was kind of a hard sell, even back then, just because people weren't as tech-friendly as they have been in the last 10 years. And the whole idea, which was being able to stay at home and bid online, there's a lot of apprehension around that. And then, uh, of course, as Things get more expensive to travel to, and as we get more busy at home all the time, particularly ranchers and farmers, you know, it started to make a lot more sense as the trust level built. It's hard to get away sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. So many people, they're kind of a one-man show, you know, on farms and ranches or one-family show, I should say. And so you're busy baling hay this time of year, you're calving cows in the spring, whatever it may be. And so... So yeah, that built up over time and really took off and staff there was really great too. And a lot of great people that we recruited and did a fantastic job and grew aggressively. I think uh, last count was probably about 1,200 production sales of all species, certainly horses, but predominantly beef cattle, goats, white-tailed deer, you name it. So really good staff there though, people that be real road warriors and get out and travel all over the country and 
set up the equipment and conduct the sales uh, alongside people that wanted to come bid in person to allow the people that couldn't be there to be there. And so we also started doing a lot of video. I'd done some video, pre-recorded video at KLA. And so we started to do a lot of video at that time. So there's many, many tens of thousands of head videoed by DV auction staff. And again, that allows you to stay home in the 30 days prior to the sale and look at these bulls or females or horses and start to kind of make your game plan for sale day. So you grew up in Northern Missouri, same as me. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew up within an hour from each other, really, I guess. I've been able to travel quite a bit, live different places. You've been able to travel quite a bit, always kind of kept your home base here, if I remember correctly, or in this area. But you've been a lot of places, dealt with a lot of people. I know for me, kind of the birth of this podcast was just the fact that I've been able to travel and meet so many interesting people. And so many of them have a good story. Some of them have a story I don't care to hear twice, but some of them have stories that you could just listen to over and over and over, right? And I know you've come across a lot of people like that, interesting people like that, and some of the places you've been and some of the different things that you've seen. So tell us just a little bit about how just traveling and meeting new people has kind of affected your thoughts and some of the things that you do today. Yeah, it's a great thing to do to travel. I mean, it really gets you out of a a locked-in mindset, makes you appreciate home even more, too. And right off the bat, when I went to work for KLA, I don't know about you, when you graduated, did you have a cell phone? No. I didn't either. When I graduated from college, I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, Yeah, me either. And they handed me a cell phone when I got to KLA, and I said, what's this for? And they (laughs) said, you're going to want that. You you need to call orders. And of course, back then, there's still a few pay phones around. I was like, I'll just call before I leave the hotel in the morning. Oh, no, you want this cell phone. So- and that's the thing uh, I tell young people. I don't think I qualify as a young person anymore, but <clears throat> we're close. Everyone talks about, oh, I'm going to get a company car. I'm like, okay, understand. If they give you a company car, that means they expect you to use it. So, time at KLA, I was sure driving 80 to 90,000 miles a year, which was really good for me and allows you to go make so many more connections and make so many friendships. And a lot of that was really in Kansas and surrounding states. We do sales in New Mexico, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, but a lot of that was in Kansas. So crisscrossing the map of Kansas over and over again, but so many fun times and got to travel with certain sets of other marketing professionals, auctioneers, sale managers, other publication guys that were there to work sales and and then also work with those cattle breeders. And so that was a great indoctrination into travel. And then the time at DV was very similar in terms of broadening my scope even more and everywhere from Canada to South Texas in terms of travel. And and that was fun and interesting. And and then even at the Beef Center, you know, we'd, we'd still travel quite a bit and go to different industry meetings. And it's kind of fun because the longer you do it, to me, it, it still stayed very rewarding because you may go somewhere that you've been before and not necessarily be quite so wide-eyed about being there, but more of these events, more of these sales, whatever the industry events were, you'd you'd go back to those places and you'd, you'd go more and more places and you'd see more people you knew and you'd have an opportunity to to renew those connections and, and then call on those later as you went along. I bet Angus Media will be very much the same. Of course, a lot of the core folks that I've done business with were Angus breeders coming up through the years. And so it's exciting to think about traveling on behalf of that organization as well and seeing all these great operations and getting to go to these industry meetings with some great beef industry professionals. And you just get to know all these people. It really is amazing to be able to have a network like that, that in a moment's notice, you can think of something and you can pick up the phone and call somebody and and have a great asset to call on in terms of that network. So yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I remember running into you one time. We just both happened to be way out in western Kansas, Dodge City or somewhere. <laughs> and just one of those times where, hey, I wonder what old Brett's up to today. We Both of us had cell phones by that point yes. in our lives. And uh, we're talking, and oh, I'm out and well, I'm going to Dodge City this weekend. Oh, really? So next thing you know, you guys got done with the auction. We got to hang out and go have a little dinner and uh, get to meet all the guys there. You call those guys professionals? <laughs> I mean, that's that's quite a word. It's a loose term. Yeah. <laughs> no, some great guys, and a few of them actually I'd kind of known their names from years before. My grandfather kind of knew some of those guys, Neil, and some of those other guys. But yeah, so now in the traveling, you've got a little more of a reason to stick around at home. True. Than what it was like when I first met you, of course. So. Yeah. My wife and daughter are so much fun. My daughter, Sloan, she's seven. Seven years so old now. Yeah. We've got a really good 25-year-old retired barrel horse for her. Perfect. Who only gave me about three heart attacks when I watched her climb up the first few times on him because he's like 15 <laughs> too. Yeah. But he's the world's best babysitter. And our friend Leslie made it available to have him at our place. And so... Sloan loves it. And of course, Jill's a really avid barrel racer. And so we enjoy that too. And and so, yeah, I've got a few more reasons to stay home or just load them up and take them with me. I do try to do that too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's a good thing to do now and then too. So a lot of the different things that you've been able to do now, where do you kind of see, it's hard to say what we call it, the ag industry or the stock industry, whatever. And of course, you and I are both in the cattle and horses a little bit. You made a, a lot of living in the cattle business primarily, but obviously you and I kind of met through horses too. But how do things look today from your perspective and where are things going in this industry, whether it's horses or cattle or a little bit of the combination of both? I know for me, it's been a, quite an evolution since I've got to meet you, my views and thoughts on horsemanship and horse training and what I've learned and who I've learned from and cattle and some of my priorities has shifted. And I know you and I've talked about some of those things, but what do you see things being today and, and in the future? You know, one of the cool things and the terrifying things about our business is we're all more connected than we ever were. And whether that's social media or whether it's cell phones, email, travel, whatever it may be, it's really unbelievable to see how connected our buyers are. Also, who we as breeders, we as folks in the industry, word travels very quickly. And so there's a few key components which have always been there, but I argue are probably more important than ever before in terms of particularly marketing. I think that customer service, taking great care of people, that's always been so important, but it's more important than ever before today because it's too easy to reach out with a bad story about someone. And so... The minute you give someone a reason not to do business with you, it can be all over Facebook. It can be spread like wildfire. And so that's a really important thing. And then I always think through different age brackets of people. And, and so you, you look at, I hate to even use the word millennials, but I guess it is truly the description for that. You look at some of the research on millennials. Technically, I'm not a millennial. I was born in 1980. I'm one year off. Those young people are entering the marketplace now you're like me, you've been saving money and we've got a truck paid off and we own a home and we're we're making investments in our future. And so whether they're there now or getting ready to be, they're, they're very much going to be an important part of our economy. And so when you do some of the research and look at some of the research, peer review is such a key thing with that age demographic. And that's why we use Yelp to see where we want to go eat. That's why we get on Amazon to see what the ratings are for products before we order them online. So even as much as we use technology today, it's so very important to take really excellent care of people because it, that peer review and the understanding that 
the word will get out whether it's good or bad very quickly. We raise dogs too. And I always tell people that sometimes folks buy puppies from us from a great distance away. And we try to represent them very fully and with videos and pictures. But we always tell them, you know, if it's not a fit, let's bring them back because it's much easier to replace the pup and then it is customer. So we get them another pup that will fit and we find another spot for that dog. But I think that's probably one of the things that's very important moving forward. And then just the connectivity of people understanding that technology has been a big theme through my working career as it is in everyone's lives. And that's not going to go away. And at the same time, we got to always view technology as something that's there to help people, not necessarily replace people. So that's how I've always looked at it. It was a means of helping people. So just like when you pick up your phone and it auto suggests that you go to such and such address because you've been driving there every day and it queues up the map for you. Looking for those intuitive solutions that make people's lives a little bit easier, a little bit better. That's what the secret is, particularly in agriculture, because there's no need to beat folks in the ag business over the head with technology. But if we can use it to make their life a lot easier or better, they're going to like that. Sometimes we have to help people not to be scared of it. Yeah, absolutely. I like to unplug too. I like to go out and ride and have things be quiet. Everything's in balance. But how nice is it? Some of the tools that we have today, like podcasts. Yeah, like podcasts. <laughs> you mentioned the maps. I mean, I even probably eight years ago, I would have never guessed I'd be using GPS like I do today. I just didn't. And maybe I wouldn't have traveled as much, but even even when I was traveling back then, I remember talking to people when I was in college in Oklahoma or wherever I was at. In Maryville, I went to college too, but I remember calling somebody on the phone, jotting down vague directions, <laughs> and then just taking off with no phone, yeah. no anything. And I just made it. And I think, honestly, I think today, I think this is not just my opinion. I mean, it's kind of the research is kind of there that if you're not careful, you can make yourself get worse with directions and get worse with memory and things if by relying on some of the technology. But on the other hand, as we all know, it can really help you out in a pinch too. Yeah, absolutely. There's a balance to all of it. Yeah. That was always a really big thing when you went to work traveling. A territory was had to go buy a nice atlas. The old atlas. I haven't had an atlas in my car for a long time now, but that was like a rite of passage, like the leather-bound atlas, oh, right? Good one. Yeah, yeah. You were going to use it, so you yeah, better don't get a fold good one. them. Don't <laughs> fold them. Don't roll them too much. Leave them flat. I know I was the same way. So you mentioned the dogs. Tell us a little bit about the dogs you raise and how you guys do that. We raise Australian cattle dogs, is what AKC American Kennel Club registers them as blue and red healers is what a lot of farm and ranch folks know them as and again you know a lot like the horses we just started very small and mom and dad got their first blue healer pup right after they got married and always had just one or two nice dogs around and so i grew up with them grew up learning to walk up against one they were dogs that really suited us well and and how we did things and there's a lot of aspects we like about them. We like dogs, though, that have plenty of talent to go work, but also have a good off switch. So if you were going to go fix fence or go clean the barn out or whatever it may be, that dog just wanted to be with you. And so we uh, we always had a few. And then when I was 13, I got a really good good young dog, a good pup, and we started to look around and really had a hard time finding a nice female. We wanted to just raise a few pups, and, and we couldn't find them anywhere. And so... I was pretty discouraged. I was just a kid. And dad said, hey, you're looking at this all wrong. You need to look at it as an opportunity because here you already have friends of ours from the cattle business that want a pup out of this dog. Let's go find a good female or two and let's build a program because we were already raising some horses and cattle. And so, so yeah, we kind of started off, it started off as a youth project that took wings and really flew from there. And 
Oh, by the time I left for college, and mom and dad kept the dogs kind of while I was in college until I was probably like a senior and was able to get a place to have them. But we had just three or four dogs, but we were raising a few litters a year, and and that was a lot of fun. Certainly, all the research that goes into it in terms of different pedigrees. Got some great dogs from my friend Larry Painter at that time. He's actually just south of Kansas City. But what a great start that he gave me in the business in terms of advice and and help. And I always remembered that, especially as young people come to us, because that was me 20 years ago. Larry's the all-time leading handler and breeder of herding champions in the history of the breed, but you would never know it. He helps a lot of people from a training standpoint. He has clinics at his house and and just a great resource. But so bit by bit, we built up over time and the demand grew and grew. And I, I got out of college and started work and reclaimed my dogs from my parents. I was good. It grew and grew beyond even that. And so, gosh, next thing you know, we looked up and folks were having to wait a good time to get a pup. And that didn't feel real great because we only wanted to raise two or three litters a year. And that was a long wait for some of those guys. And so, we started to kind of take a new look at it again. By that time, my father had passed, but I kind of called back on that vision that he had. And and so I had a lot of these friends from the cattle business that were raising seed stock cattle at bull sales. And they all said, boy, I'd really like to get a good pup from you. And so I started to work out deals where we had co-ownership. And we would go through and handpick a female pup, and they could just take her and make her their own family and working dog. And then when it came time to breed her, they'd bring her back. And we free semen on all of our males as well as have some colon males. And so we'd kind of architected this program and that allowed us to expand our numbers without necessarily having them all at our house. And so today we generally have 12 to 15 litters a year between two or three at our house and then those co-owners. And boy, it just, it took off. I mean, a lot of the same things we always looked for in terms of great dispositions and great working ability and sound structure, just like the horses. Other folks were striving to find that too. And so uh, I checked this out the other day because I was trying to thinking about updating the website. And I, we'd shipped pups to 39 states. 39 states. And seven countries outside wow. the U.S. I remember once I met with you and we took a dog to the airport that was yeah. getting ready to go overseas, you yeah. know, somewhere. And that was quite a deal. Yeah, it's amazing. And then we've made friends, of course, with people from all over from that. Some of them maybe even come and bought horses and vice versa. Made some friends in Australia. We had some friends come visit this time last year uh, that we'd kind of been exchanging genetics back and forth. Certainly friends in Europe. That pup might have been going to France, if I remember right, to my friend Flo. He ended up becoming one of the widely regarded great sires in Europe to the extent that we brought one of his sons back from a dog from Denmark. Again, talking about the connectivity of all this stuff, there was a dog that came over to our national herding trials that we really liked from Denmark. And the breeder was there and we worked out a deal to get a pup out of her. Well, she ended up taking her to this dog, Eddie Spader, in France to be bred. And that's a pup that's the kind of probably the feature young sire in our program right now, Albert's Viking Warrior. And year before last, he sired the high in trial and obedience our national specialty and has been a fantastic sire of working dogs and family dogs. So it just took off and grew beyond what we could have ever imagined or dreamed and and again, back to that connectivity and taking good care of people. I mean, that's what we really strive to do. And 
it's pretty cool. You get these calls from people from all over and, and then especially when they come back 10, 12, 14 years later and buy another pup from you, it's very rewarding. No doubt. Well, Brett, I know you have a lot to do today. The other things you got to do, you've been on the road today, but I'm going to hit you with just a couple quick kind of rapid fire questions. Good. Which one am I going to start with? So if there's a book or books everybody needs to read, what would it be? Oh, that's tough. Or maybe you have an author that you like a lot or things. <laughs> JD's over there holding <laughs> JD's over there holding one up. No, we're not talking about my book. God dang it. They 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 get to hear about my stuff enough. I appreciate that though. <laughs> Does everyone say the Bible yeah, at this point? Yeah, no. I'm sure I have some people that would, but uh <laughs> I do read that. I do need to say that. I'm not making fun of it. I, yeah. <laughs> That's another My mom will kill me if I make, yeah, yeah, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> yeah, I think we should both Next stop. question. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know your mom will kill both of us, not just you. <laughs> One of the worst ideas you ever had, what would it be? Worst idea I ever had. You know what? The worst ideas that I've ever had was when I was too intimidated or too scared to go try something. And that's pretty cliche. No, I think that's right on. I can't say that I've ever had an idea that I thought was a bad idea just because I've made some mistakes for sure, but I've never come out of it and thought, I wish I wouldn't have done that. But many, 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 many times, especially as a young person, even though I thought through it, researched it, prayed about it, whatever, there's many times where I thought, you know, I'm not going to try that because I don't feel I'm up to it. And those were the things I regret. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. Wayne Gretzky, great hockey player of all time, is kind of a famous quote, and most people have heard it, kind of cliche, but it's right on. He says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yep, especially for young people. I mean, you've got so much time ahead of you when you're a young person. I mean, go out and make mistakes. Don't get in financial trouble and make things like that, but go try new things. That's what I, I did, you did. It's so rewarding to be able to look back and realize when you do those things, how they help you grow as a person. Yeah, for sure. What's some of the best advice you ever got, whether it was in your field that you're in today, the marketing, or whether it was just in in life in general? What's some of the best advice you got from somebody that really served you well? You want the best horse advice I ever got, since this is kind of an equine related? So my dad's uncle, Uncle Stewart, was a very great horseman in South Dakota. And that was a time when they used a lot of work horses. And so Uncle Stewart was a very good horseman. And (laughs) I think about this as I'm coming up on a horse sale. He always said, I've never regretted selling a horse. I've only regretted keeping one I didn't like. When you make your mind up to move on, to go find something better, to go do something different, rarely do you ever regret selling a horse. Like a lot of times it's just, you get to that point, it's the right thing to do. I know that's tough for some people, but I go through it too. Do I want to keep this cold? You never regret selling a horse. So Uncle Stuart was pretty wise in that facet, I'd say. Yeah. I think so, for sure. Okay, last question. If there was one person that you could resurrect today, bring him or her back and have a conversation with them, spend the day with them, whether they were somebody that everybody would know or somebody nobody else would know, who might that be? Yeah, Dad, for sure. Think about him often. A lot of people do. He was a great man in so many ways, especially in how he treated people, and that's what my brother and sister and mom and I still try to carry on that aspect. And But, boy, you know, even after a, it's been a long time since he's passed and you still go through phases of life, you go through activities in life and you just can't help but think of that. Anyone that's lost family members, I know is in that same boat and you just sometimes kind of sit up and think, but wouldn't it be neat to have him here and 
spend some time and talk about these things. So see what he thinks of this yeah. or see what he'd say about that going on today. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, I think he'd passed away just right before I met you yeah. about a year before. And I'd, I'd heard about him through other people as well later, but yeah, that's for sure. You mentioned your brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Of course, I've gotten to know your brother, Jared, pretty well over the last few years too. And your sister, Alyssa, tell us a little bit about some of the things growing up with her and what's going on there. So Jared lives in Kansas City. It has a great family there and it's always great to come up and help with the auction and comes up and helps mom throughout the year too. My wife and daughter and I live about an hour and 45 minutes away from mom's home place. So we're not always able to get up there very often as much as we'd like. So Jared certainly comes up and helps, especially around sale time. Lissa is special needs, and so she actually lives at home with mom, but just there couldn't be a happier, better-hearted person. And so she's she's had a tough go. She still fights seizure activity. Boy, it's just, oh man, you think about some of the challenges you go through on a daily basis, and I go through, and some of the stresses and anxiety we deal with, and it all kind of pales in comparison when that kind of brings you back into perspective, because things that are a real challenge for her, we take for granted every single day. So what a trooper she is though, and certainly what a trooper my mom is to conduct her daily care and and do such a great job of it, as well as the cattle, as well as the horses and all the other things that she does. She's unbelievable in that regard. So, But we love Alyssa very much and it's always nice to have her with you because she's always smiling and she's happy. And you go back again, treating people well, She's always happy to see you and everyone. It's not just family members. It's you. You get a hug every time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, Cow. You see her. Cow. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I get to see you every year. Sometimes more than that, I get to go yeah. up there. But yeah. Yeah. And so, how cool is that to take a big step back and just realize life is pretty precious and a lot of it's dictated by how we treat others and, and subsequently how they treat us back. So, being able to, to do the right thing by people always works out in the long run. Sometimes there is a relationship of one to the other. How, yeah. How we get treated back, how we treat others, right? Yeah. Karma or reaping what you sow, however you want to look at it, there's there's definitely a connection there. Yeah, for sure. Well, Brett, I sure appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you. I'll look forward to seeing you probably the day before the sale, I guess. We'll go up and get those colts. We look forward to having your help, always. We'll have the online catalog up by the time this goes. It's www.spaderranch.com, and there'll be videos up there. I promise you we'll have them up after the day we had getting them today. We're excited to get them up. It's been hot today here in northwest missouri so yeah it's been good well appreciate your time make sure you guys check out the spader ranch yep spaderranch.com and you guys can look at my facebook stuff i'll be putting some stuff out there as well soon about the sale so hopefully you guys can make it out to the sale kansas city kansas august 31st thanks so much if you're enjoying the horses and life podcast there are many ways you can support it you can obviously tell people about it you can tell your friends about it you can share it through social media or any other means you can go to patreon.com and support it financially. There's a little more information on my website about the podcast. Also on my website, calmiddleton.com. Please be sure you sign up for my monthly newsletters through my email subscription list. Until next time, enjoy each day. Enjoy each day.